Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. I'm here at the Wisdom 2.0 conference in San Francisco, and I have the delightful opportunity to spend some time with Thomas Hoople. Thomas? Hello, and thank you for having me here, and I'm enjoying my time with you as well, yeah. <laughs> so, Thomas is a German mystic meditation teacher. He's done some amazing work, which we've been really involved in, and we looked at talking about the whole idea of trauma and cultural trauma today and the impact it has on our own evolution. So let's just start out defining and looking at the issue of trauma, both individual and cultural trauma. Could you just speak to that? Yeah, when we when we speak about trauma, we usually speak about, like many people think about events or atrocities or whatever, very difficult situations on the outside. But the trauma response is actually something that happens within our nervous systems or bodies. And it's so we let's define when we talk about trauma as the response or the process that happens within an individual or a culture as a as a kind of very intelligent function to deal with an overwhelming situation. And and so what happens is that in a way our nervous system has the capacity to disconnect or shut down a part of it in order to protect the rest like a, a ship with a leak and then and then water comes in and you seal off that area so that the whole ship doesn't sink and and trauma so trauma is actually a very intelligent response and one part of the traumatized person goes into a hyperactivated state so there's a lot of stress and usually another part of us is being shut down like we we are, like the nervous system shuts it down and and so if it's not being taken care of appropriately so then that stays and and can create major symptoms or kind of disorganization fragmentation separation a kind of trauma symptoms and so we learn more and more how to take care of trauma, first to detect it, to see its symptoms in individuals, but also in societies. And I think the interesting uh, conversation is how is the individual and the collective, how are they connected and what the, how are they, how is individual and collective trauma connected? And that trauma is actually not only an individual thing, it's, it's embedded in a big trauma net. And so, and that actually most of the trauma that we see happens through inappropriate relation. And that's why appropriate relation is the main remedy, which makes all of us the potential remedy to the traumatization that we see, of the traumatization that we see in the world. And I think... Cultural trauma. Yeah, and the individual trauma. Every one of us... There wasn't a lot of trauma in, in an individual... 
the work that they do will still help to heal the larger field, right? That's right. That's right. And that's the amazing thing. So our our capacity to build appropriate and aligned relations is actually one of the best remedies to uh, heal and integrate trauma. So every one of us is in a way connected to that remedy and carries this remedy inside. And through practice, also through presence practice, through relational practice or process awareness practice, we are actually able to become a better and better remedy for that. Wherever we are, wherever we, whatever we do, in intimate relationships, as parents, as uh, leaders of teams, uh, wherever we work, whatever we do in society, we are also the remedy or we are potential contributors to trauma. And I think it's that's a, an interesting conversation. So trauma starts out really as a good thing, as you say, that it's a protective mechanism. We dissociate some part of our essence. In shamanism, they would call it soul loss. But it's also on the identity, individual ego or identity, and the cultural identity shapes the personality, the way that we see and view and act in the world. So talk a little bit about the formation of the identity and the healing process when there's trauma that's particularly intense trauma that's involved in that. Yeah, as you said, because we grow up in family systems where we experience trauma, we grow up in societies where we experience trauma, we are exposed to a lot of trauma triggers through media and the World Wide Web and like there, there we are actually living nowadays in a global village where the trauma in our neighborhood and the trauma on the other side of the planet are basically accessible on our mobile phones. They're, they're very close. And so that, that, that exposes us also to a lot of trauma. And if I'm traumatized and I see a lot of trauma around me, so it reinforces my own internal disconnect and it triggers it all the time. So I might get more and more stressed out because of the exposure to trauma that triggers my own trauma. So, and that's a kind of a vicious cycle. So we need to take care of, especially with, with the use of technology, how we balance that. I think that needs a very conscious use of technology. Um, and, um, and then the other thing is that trauma, like if, it, if there is a part inside that is shut down, it's like when you... Like the first time I, I flew into Kathmandu because we, do, we did some uh, longer-term meditation retreats in Nepal, in the Himalayan mountains. And so the first time I came on the plane and I looked down at Kathmandu at night and then you see the city with all the lights and, and it looks like it's kind of an animation of the nervous system in a, in a way, in a, a kind of metaphorical way. And then, and then because Kathmandu in, in Nepal, there like the state is very poor, so they, they shut down parts of the city, the electricity networks, in order not to use up so much electricity. And so you see parts of the city that are dark from the plane perspective. And then I thought, wow, that's a genius explanation of trauma. I mean, like, I couldn't tell from the my from my perspective on the plane, I couldn't say if that dark spot is a lake in the city, if it's a forest, if it's a, a city part without electricity, if there is a mountain, I don't know. And so 
But what that means is that if there is a shutdown part in my nervous system that doesn't arise in my awareness, when my identity incorporates that as me, so I don't know what I don't feel and I don't know what I don't see, I only experience it through symptoms in my life. I find out that I'm often stressed or reactive. When my partner says something to me or my boss says something to me, I become very activated. And I respond to the situation. Actually, I react in an inappropriate way. It's way too charged for what happened. But trauma that affected my development continued, and that's being pushed into the subconscious, means that we might carry massive trauma areas in us that are so normal to us that we don't that we don't we don't know what we don't see and we only notice it that we feel okay a part of my potential a part of my purpose a part of my intelligence cannot manifest i cannot manifest it in my in my life in my external life so the inside and the outside are se sometimes severely uh, different so that people feel, well, I have so much potential, but what I manifest in the world is way smaller than what I feel in myself. Many people walk around with that tension that inside and outside are not congruent. And the trauma healing is actually a way to make the inside, the potentiality of a person, more and more manifest as an external life. So that what I carry inside is also manifest outside. And the more they are congruent the more we feel we are in peace. We feel, I, I am in my place. And it's lovely because I, I recently watched a Bohemian Rhapsody, um, the movie about great Queen. Movie. It's a great uh, movie. I loved it. I cried and I loved it. It's lovely. Um, and, and, and he says something very interesting in the moment when, he, when they started to become more famous. He says to his uh, partner, he says, and now... I'm exactly in my place and I have no fear. I'm not afraid. And that was a beautiful... He, he, he felt he took his place. This was his place to be a performer. And he said, and I'm not afraid. Once we are, we are kind of... We feel in life that we, we are in our place, like we are, we are expressing our purpose, many fears drop away. Like it, this is what we are supposed to be doing here. That's why we are here. That's why we are alive. And, and that was a beautiful scene. I think they showed it very nicely. Yeah. So one of the things um, you, you seem to correlate, and it's obvious that with trauma, you have a stress cycle, really, that happens when it gets re recreated, when you have re-experienced again, then there's more stress. And you talk about stress as too much, which means that we haven't the capacity to meet the world and our personal and professional situations because we have a lack of capacity. So talk about building that capacity and the right. tools for building that capacity. Yeah, first of all, I think it's very important that this word stress that you mentioned, that for some time, every time we use the word stress... We obfuscate. Yeah, right. We, let's, let's, look, let's say that the word stress is like a lid on a pot. And then we take off that word and we see what is actually my experience. So some people say I'm stressed when they actually are saying I'm scared. Some people say I'm stressed when they actually are angry. 
Some people are stressed when they feel ashamed. So somebody said something, they felt ashamed, and they say, oh, I'm stressed. But actually, no, I'm not stressed, I'm afraid. Some people say, my trauma got triggered and I'm hyperactivated. And that's what I call stress. Some people have too many things to do and they are not well regulated in how they synchronize their day. And then they feel kind of bombarded and stressed. But I think, first of all, to look when we say it's difficult or I'm stressed or it's a problem, these are all signposts to trauma in a way. And so that we that we learn, okay, how can I break down and be my, my current experience to the most simple thing? And the most simple thing is usually a body sensation and a core emotion, like fear, anger, shame, sadness, joy, love, or numbness. So let's say one of the core building blocks and then and then on top of it, there is a mental interpretation of what's happening right now. And so trauma expresses two things. One is that usually the mental, emotional, and physical experience are not congruent. They are breaks, they are fractured. So the mind spins all kinds of interpretations and covers up the real experience. And so, so sometimes we need to dismantle those interpretations in order to connect to the real experience and the real experience is always the highway to development and so that i see oh my body is a very important tool my body and my emotional experience they are not in the way or they're not a problem they are only sometimes hurt and that's why it needs more of my attention in order to get to know my fear my shame my my set all my emotional range that I will reown them. Otherwise, it's the I I start living in the crack or in the fracture between my mind and my f physical and emotional experience, and and it's kind of a dead zone, right? Because yeah. in my mind I'm I'm like a helicopter. That's why I often call this the helicopter mind. Like I'm I'm floating on on a mental helicopter on top of my experience. And from there, there is no healing. The healing happens through the body. The healing happens through the embodiment of my experience. And then the mind and the emotion and the body get synchronized. And a good example is that when people say, for example, oh, I'm so afraid to take an exam at the university. And then other people might say, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I, you know, I know this fear very well. So between the two people, that fear of the exam became a reality and we all know this in a way yeah it's an agreement and then it becomes a social norm that people are afraid before they take an exam where in fact most probably that fear has nothing to do with that exam the fear has something to do with our past not with this current situation so often in the trauma so trauma and the and the ancient word karma actually very similar because karma says it's an a postponed experience it's like what i cannot compute now or process now i kind of project put on a storage and i and one day i will need to process it so presence is the fluid processing presence is the flu fluid processing of reality now what happens now is what happens now but often 
our undigested past overshadows the current experience. So then I have fears that have nothing to do with the situation, but they are undigested and they come up periodically. So then I have the same fear here and then I have it one week later again and one week later again. So that fear has nothing to do with what I'm experiencing now. It's like a movie on top of the movie. And and I think once we see that, then we see, oh, we are living actually what I call a lot in after time. In the time that it needs to digest the undigested stuff. And it might be my personal undigested stuff, but the Holocaust, for example, or massive scars or slavery in the U.S., is native genocide. That's a massive thing that generations need to digest. So, and that's where we come into the the whole dimension of collective trauma that we are actually living and we all have been born into collectively traumatized societies that more or less are collectively traumatized. And it's institutionalized too, not just collective, it's in in the very fabric of our institutions. That's right. And because of disagreements, if it's true that one is afraid of the exam and that becomes a social convention, then the stranger becomes a a social convention, whereas the stranger is a similar effect, just in a different way. So there are all kinds. So suddenly we find out that there are many social agreements that are actually trauma agreements but they are here, they are so normal because we have been born into them. And then we say, oh, this is how life is. No, this is not how life is. This is how frozen life is mm-hmm. within life that is emergent because life is a movement. Like Krishnamurti said, that one thing is for sure that everything's moving. One thing that will never change is that everything's moving. And, and it's kind of that our inherent nature is movement, or the Tao Te Ching, and like the Tao, the, 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 the movement of the Tao. And, and uh, so life in itself is always moving and emerging, and it's, it's present in the emergence. So it's movement and stillness. And frozen life is not emergent. And we see it right now when we, for example, see, oh, there is a, a climate crisis coming closer and closer, but the movement that we see in the world, according to what we already know, what scientists are, it's not that it, it emerged last year. I mean, people talk about this stuff for decades, and we are not... I've been covering it for three decades. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and we are not moving fast enough. What is that? That emergence sees, okay, the natural habitat is this, and we need to respond to this. So, and then there's a natural emergent movement, a creative movement, how to take care of an issue, but we are not taking care of it. And the opposite, actually, more and more toxins of a way of, a way of living that is not in alignment with our natural environment are actually slowly coming back because, you know, we put all this stuff somewhere out there, but now in a global village, suddenly there is no out there. Everything is in here. So now that we became a global tribe as humanity, we see, oh, we, all this uh, waste that we put somewhere slowly comes back through the food chain, through the air, through the, and, and the climate crisis. And now I believe we are facing the, the trauma disconnect that is not emergent, but is stagnant 
is like a sand in the engine. So we need to see that we are facing a massive collective trauma symptom. It, the client is now us, is all of us. We are the client. You know, we became one trauma client, one trauma patient. And there is an, an, an unmoving part that is frozen. And, you know, big scars that we inflicted upon each other in the, in the past, or still doing it, like in Syria right now, is um, these are massive wounds. And they need to be treated as wounds if we don't want the global inflammation that becomes a sepsis and is toxic. And I think we, that since we are facing a, a collective crisis on the planet that's coming closer, and um, we will have to take care of this. And I think that collective trauma plays a huge role in this. I have no doubt that it does. But when you talk, just, just feeling it, I feel myself sinking into the floor. And I, I know listeners go, well, what can I do? I mean, I'm so overwhelmed with this. We say, oh, well, you can do these practices and heal yourself, and that heals your ancestral trauma, and that will heal this. But it's just, and it's not even the past. It's the remembered past. That's mm -hmm. what's always amazing. Mm -hmm. So practices for our listeners to actually be able to be in the face of or, or perhaps even stay off the news, stay off some of the... I mean, I've gotten my news habit down as a journalist to 10 minutes a day. That's all I'll spend on news. It's only mm -hmm. headlines on things that are global events. Mm -hmm. But people walk around in a somnambulant state uh, just from hearing the news every day. That's right. And I think it, there, there are multiple things. It's, it's like we are called to to a kind of a massive awareness process. And we see that that's happening on many places around the world now, that there are massive movements, the mindfulness movement, uh, all kinds of the trauma healing movement. Uh, there are like all kinds of spiritual traditions are getting stronger. So we see that there many people are looking already for something and many people are open to look at life differently. So that's a very positive development. So we are, and we are called to do some inner practice that gets us into more presence, that makes us more process aware or in relational presence aware. And um, so there's the part that everybody can do for him or herself to find a way what helps me to be more present and more aware of what my current experience is. And this can be meditation, this can be contemplation, this can be sharing and kind of... Yeah, any 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 activities that I do with presence and mindfulness in order to explore my own experience in a deeper way. And and then and then find out if things are difficult for me, one what does it mean? I think the the, the English word responsibility. So the ability to respond. So when I find myself very often in reactive modes in, in certain situations, and they are recurrent, they come back again and again. Responsibility means that I look for some support that can help me to find out what that is. So there's, there's a healing dimension that many of us need to go through. So there's an individual healing path that makes me a more grounded, integrated human being. 
And there are many modalities and everybody that is going to look will find something that resonates. If I want to, if I'm open for it, I, I will find something that resonates for me. But the next step is also, as you said, with the news. It's, I think we're living in a time where we are so connected to f high-speed data from all around the world that we are super informed and maybe also the most indifferent. Because we see so much, we become more and more numb. And and the, the important thing is, so either I... I I kind of regulate myself in the amount of information through the amount of information that I take in or and or I I also pay attention that when I read about some stuff on the news what is actually my experience because through my mobile phone or my smartphone I'm initiated into a global citizenship and once I know about things I'm also part of them but then I can see, oh, I read news mentally, but I have no physical, emotional experience, maybe. Because it's too overwhelming to, to, to hear about the school shooting. Who can feel what that actually means? How many people that read the news feel what it really means? It's a dimension that is so uh, strong and often overwhelming or traumatizing that just hearing about it, I might see that actually yeah i mentally absorb this but emotionally i'm i'm already disconnected or numb and it's not that i shouldn't be what i'm only saying is that we can be aware that we are numb that's already a big next step that i see i'm a mental witness but my heart and my body and my emotions might not be there so i'm not a holistic witness of the situation and so if I want to become a holistic witness, um, it's it's not that I should be, because should be doesn't exist. If I'm numb, I cannot be not numb. But I can be aware that numbing is needed in order to to be in this trauma exposure. So that we really learn to to presence our process, whatever the process is, and then maybe we learn to, to create exchange did i talk with you about my experience of uh, reading news and you tell me yours and then we find something you mean authentic communication right what a concept <laughs> right <laughs> and so maybe we find that we need to really learn how to digest our world but that the same discrepancy between inside and outside is very important that many Maybe in many of us, the world that is outside also cannot land inside. Before we said, what many people carry inside doesn't appear outside. But the other way around is the same. And the discrepancy is usually a dimension of trauma. And so then we see, wow, it works in both ways. And that's an invitation to have a grounded, embodied practice. How to be a local and global citizen at the same time. Because through technology, many of us that have access to it have been initiated into a global citizenship. Suddenly I, I hear about stuff more and more that happens somewhere, and, but I'm part of it because I know about it. 
So consciousness, my consciousness, is kind of part of this kind of global hologram. And and I believe there's a new there are new practices that we call this, for example, global social witnessing, or William Urey calls it the third side. Right. And that all of us are basically the third side of everything. And I don't need to do everything. I don't need to overload myself. But whatever comes to me is also my practice. Whatever information I meet, or all the people that I meet, they're also my practice. Because why? Because I, they happen to be in my life. And so, and then I can also, so there's in my individual practice, there are collective practices, then there's my maybe my transpersonal practice that I have a contemplative practice that helps me to create more and more an inner state of presence, connectedness, intuition, inspiration. And um, and then I think we, we are also called to find out, yes, it's true, when I look at the state of the world and I think, okay, what can I do in the face of all of it? But I'm actually not called to do all of it. I need to find out what am I called to? What are the things that happen in my life in the closest circle? It doesn't need to be a huge project. It needs to be some part that speaks to me that I can take care of. And however I deal with my waste, how I deal with my neighbor, how I deal with my partner, my family, my closer environment. And for some people, it's maybe something more global. But it doesn't matter actually what's the size or the dimension of it. it. The only thing that matters is that I engage somehow and participate in the societal process. It can be just in my neighborhood. and But what am I called to contribute? And maybe for some time my own healing is my contribution. I don't have energy to do more than just take care of my own wounds. I was just going to say that a lot of times I know from being active for a long time in the environmental arena that many times people are taking on global issues as an avoidance of personal issues. That's very true. And part of why I kind of have gone a different route for working on these issues is that there was so much anger and separation and when I look at it, it seems like at the heart of the matter is this myth of separation. And how do we, you know, there's the Advaita, you know, non-dualism approach, and then there's devotion, and then they're all arguing about which one's right. It's like, how, how do you begin to approach that deeply embedded in in our language as well as our institutions, our, our education, um, even our money. How do you begin to find your way with some relief from that myth of separation to begin to challenge it at least? That's right. And that we see that separation is, you know, is a big trauma symptom. And we, we as I said before, most of us, have, we grew up in a world that is fragmented. So what we what is normal for us is a world that is fragmented. Fragmentation and separation seems to be the norm, where the extraordinary states, the more enlightened states and unified moments and, you know, the, the opening of consciousness into, like the, the saints and the sages describe in different traditions, it seems that that's 
the extraordinary, where in fact it's the other way around. That's our natural state, to be a unified consciousness. That's who we are, and the fragmented world is the exception. But that's not how we, you know, our nervous system is trained trained to live in a separate world. So we, we accept that this is normal. And so that's why I'm saying that there are different approaches, but eventually I agree with you, it all boils down to the fact that we do our inner work and then everyone will feel called to some kind of outer work, but not because we avoid our pain, so we try to heal it through the world, but we heal it in us and then naturally we become kind of instruments that are more in tune with life and then our expression will be something, but it's more in tune with life. And, and that we see that if I can trust that you do your work and you can trust that I do my work, none of us needs to do everything, but we are all kind of musicians in an orchestra. And the more we play together and we listen to the main conductor, so, you know, there is a conductor, but we are all musicians that listen to the main conductor. And if I, like, like the spiritual practice can give me enough inner spaciousness inner stillness to be able to be to listen to the conductor of life to the higher organizing principle and if if many of us do this then we all feel called to do our piece to play our instrument but we are part of an, an orchestra humanity is an orchestra and um, and i think that's why the the inner work is also so important that we see okay i'm listening to my calling and I and I support you to listen to your calling, because we are both connected to, to this. We are both listening to the same conductor, and uh, however you call it for yourself, and I call it for myself. But there, there are similar principles at work um, in us. Oh, so many things to cover. You know, one of the things that it it, it seems to me, I ha- I came from. A lot of heavy trauma and abuse, and, and there's this idea that it looks like a polite bumper sticker that your wound is your portal or your opening for healing, uh, or your wound is your gift. That whole idea, and I have to say that now in my 70s, I would agree with that. I certainly wouldn't have agreed with it in my 30s. And so, how how can we make that real? But just about that whole idea of relaxing into to the story about the wounding and letting it be instead of trying to fix ourselves, to change ourselves, which of course causes the existence the more we are trying to fix something. Yeah, I think we need to see what is fixing mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a difference between the natural, the natural tendency of an organism or system mm-hmm. to heal there's a self-healing mechanism. So if somebody cuts him or herself, and then like with a knife, and then your your body knows how to heal that cut, and until the, your skin is again looks like perfect, fresh, new, and so there is a. And self- if you pick at the scab, it's just never going to heal. Right, right. So, but there is a self-healing mechanism, and the the, the important thing is, if I'm trying to fix the symptoms, or if I'm willing to go to the root, 
that causes the symptoms. Many people get actually too much entangled in trying to fix their symptoms. And the symptoms is like coughing together in the smoke, but then nobody takes care of the fire. So where is the fire that produces the smoke? And presence and authentic relation and, uh, and supportive contexts for healing and a wee space that helps us or like a therapist or there are many resources that can help us to get to this to the fire and so there's there's a fixing which is kind of a resistance or an arguing with the symptoms and then there is literally an authentic healing capacity that can help us to take care of the the, the, the roots of my symptoms and I think that's that's a natural tendency that lives in us. So how can we heal? And um, and so the um, once I once I see that that I'm literally interested in in the in finding the roots, and that I'm also part of. If I cannot do it myself. But I can I can find skilled people or like a context that can help me to reflect myself back onto myself, like to get to know myself enough that I can get closer to. And now it's very interesting that that it seems like sometimes that there are parts of me that are dysfunctional. Like I feel, oh, I cannot do certain things or certain things don't work in life or I run into the same difficulties or whatever. I cannot, I don't find my potential in the world. And, but what looks like a dysfunction on one level is a very important function on another level. So we said trauma is very intelligent because it protects us and it protects our further development. So if a child has been left alone very often and the attachment people a uh, person or parents weren't there um, so the child cannot relax the fear that comes up often when being alone into the parental safety and 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 nervous system so the child needs to hold itself it's not being held by the parents so when the person later on is kind of more disembodied has more fears, walks through life and is scared to take decisions or risk something or be courageous. So that that fear looks like being afraid looks like a dysfunction in the grown-up person's life. Whereas to hold fear and to be more contracted in the body was actually super important for the child to get through this early and absence of the parents. They weren't there. So usually parents are supposed to hold their children in a safe container. But if not, then the child is overwhelmed and the whole time flooded by fear and needs to deal with it. And one way to deal with it is to numb it. And then maybe the person later on has an addiction. and But the addiction is just a way to deal with the enormous amount of fear that is in the system. And... That, that means, so what many people see in their lives is dysfunction. Our job is to listen and find out, okay, on which level of your development that dysfunction was actually a very intelligent function. And 
because it was a very intelligent function in a two-year-old, of course it looks like dysfunctional in a 40-year-old person, but it's still a very important process. And when we get to that process of the two-year-old, suddenly the 40-year-old starts to heal. That's why the symptom is always a process that is not being recognized for what it is. And so we, I think we are being called to listen in a different way to ourselves and in our internal exploration, our contemplation, our inner work that we do, but also to create a context or to be part of a context where we listen to each other in a different way and learn to listen to that which is not being communicated immediately more than to what people say about their symptoms. And that's a new way of listening to each other mm -hmm. and to ourselves and to see that everything that looks like a weakness or a dysfunction is actually functional. When I often say, when something in, war, in life doesn't work, something works that it doesn't work. Right. And when we don't see something clearly, not seeing seems to be better than seeing. So something in me needs to not see something in order to stay safe, protected, defended, whatever, keep my trauma kind of in a certain area shut down. And so the because seeing and being clear is basically our natural state as human beings, being grounded in the body, being connected to our emotions, having an open mind that is able to, you know, take multiple perspectives. This is a natural state. If it's not a natural state, something has been hurt. And and I think if we create more sensitive and present contexts in order to host that, to give that a space, to create we spaces that are healing spaces, then then I believe we, we serve each other because sometimes it's hard to see it in me. Maybe it's easier to see to be a clarification assistant for you and you for me, but we can support each other in this um, because you can feel things that I can't feel and maybe vice versa. That seems to be the place that real authenticity comes in, that, you know, we seem to be moving further away sometimes from authenticity, especially with uh, cell phones and computers and internet and social media and all of that. So that's one thing I wanted to, but before I forgot, I wanted to ask you about what I would call trauma echoes, you know, having had, as I said, a lot of severe abuse and trauma and death and things early, early, really early in utero, really atomic bombs, you know, and things. I feel that the work, per, I, mean, I mean, I'm just sharing my personal experience, but I feel that much of the trauma in me is healed and hopefully will be a, a healing for generations be, before and after that. But there's this thing like something bad is going to happen. Like I walk outside and think a car is going to hit my dog or I'm going to run off. I, I have still have the echoes of the trauma i'm able to choose not to react most of the time to that it's not an unconscious thing but it's an echo of old traumas what what's your thought about that yeah that you said it beautifully you your presence 
practice, your capacity to, to you did enough inner work so that you can, can discern that certain echoes in you, certain thoughts, certain feelings, they are echoes of the past. They are not connected to what's happening right now. And, and I think that's what inner practice can give us, this kind of discernment. Okay, yes, it's coming up in me, but I don't need to jump onto that wave like a surfer and, um, and uh, ride it. I can let's just let this wave pass through. And, and the more we, we ground ourselves in presence, so we can see these tendencies come up, or somebody triggers us, where somebody said something and I feel they get triggered, and I can host it, I can stay connected to it, I don't shut it down, but I'm, I also don't need to react immediately. I can, I can give myself a moment to breathe, to feel, and then answer. And so I think, yes, that's true, there are the echoes of the trauma, that have thoughts and feelings that are connected to the past. And this overshadows my moment. And and an, an inner practice gives me discernment. So that's one thing. And then I can go to look and find out what's actually echoing and be committed to clarify that more and more as I can. So through trauma work and special trauma healing, we can reduce those echoes over time, as you also did in your life, and and we and maybe one day they will disappear. We don't know, but we can reduce their effects. And the beauty is that I often say our difficulties are not in our way; they are our way. So my life doesn't start when I, you know, some people say, okay. First, I need to heal myself, and then my life will start. And I say, no, you're healing. The fact that you have been born into this family, this kind of constellation, these circumstances, that's part of your life. That's how how life unfolds through you. And it's not that you need to heal everything, and then your life, your mission or purpose will start. No, your healing is also part of your purpose. And the healing turns the wound into a capacity. And we see this, many people that, that suffered from heavy addiction, if they really went through their addiction and resolved it, they are actually the best addiction therapists for other people. People who really turn that same thing around, they, their nervous system and their energy field transmits their own step the best. So the clients that come to them, they learn from them because they feel they did it. And the fact that they turned it around makes them amazingly supportive for others to do the same. Somebody who really stopped, uh, quit smoking and, and, uh, and, for example, works with people that smoke has a kind of a remedy inside the body. You know, you went through it yourself, you changed it, and if you really changed it, it makes you a, a, transmitter, a transmitting device for that kind of change. You walk your talk because you did it. So many more questions that we'll get to one time. But um, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. And it's great to see you here at uh, Wisdom 2.0. And I hope to see you again really soon. 
Yes, me too. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. It's always lovely meeting you. Yeah, thank you. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.